0: This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. New content will be available every week throughout 2016. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. Go straight into the Word of God to Second Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3. Second Timothy chapter three. Paul speaking here, said, "But know this: that in the last days, perilous times will come. But know this: in the last days, perilous times will come. Almost all Christians. That are presently believe that and agree that we are presently living in what we would call the last days. Now debates continue in exactly when those last days will end. But we're all agreed that we are living in the in the spectrum at least of the last days. Paul certainly believed it whenever he wrote this epistle to Timothy. And if that is the case, how much more should we believe it in these days that we are living in? So, how do we know this? How do we know that we're living in the last days? Well, there are plenty of telltale signs. There's lots of clues for us to see. If you read Matthew 24 and Luke 21, you'll see Jesus was very explicit and some of the things he said would happen in the last days. Uh, and having read those, you'll agree that we are approaching the end game pretty fast. It's almost upon us. Now the trouble is today that if you blow the trumpet in Zion and sound an alarm, uh, you are looked upon as a, a monger, an alarmist, Uh, someone who is negative, that troubles the saints and frightens the unbelievers. Interestingly, that didn't seem to bother Jesus, or Paul, or Peter, or James, or indeed any of the early church leaders. In fact, they were so convinced that they were living in the last days that Christ was returning. His return was imminent. That's what they believed. And they found it absolutely vital to warn the church of such an event. So whenever you read through the the letters in the New Testament, you'll find it again and again and again. It was a big, big theme uh, with the early church. So Paul writing here to Pastor Timothy, and it's during a time when Nero was rampantly persecuting the church. So he's not speaking in a vacuum here. All kinds of trouble and tribulation and trial was happening for the church at this time. And so he looks even beyond that because he knew the scriptures well. And he knew about Daniel's 70th week and he knew about the, the period of the tribulation, the great tribulation. But he's looking now beyond his day whenever they were going through great trial and he sees signs of the coming of Christ even into our generation. And so he warns Timothy that things would grow worse and worse. Now we do know and we do believe that in the end times uh, that God is going to do something great, that God's light will shine brighter and brighter, not dimmer and dimmer. But alongside of that, You have this dichotomy that even though God's light is going to shine brighter and that the gospel message will go out and many, many will flood into the kingdom. And yet alongside of that, you have this other side to the scriptures where you see things will grow worse and worse and worse within this world's system. No better time for the church to shine brighter and brighter when things are getting darker and darker. Isn't that so? And so, Paul here writing says these things, but know this, that in the last days perilous time will come. Paul, in describing these perilous times, leaves us no doubt that we are in that generation. And remember, Paul was facing a a brutal Roman Empire and an emperor uh, who absolutely despised them and was killing them wholesale. And yet, he looks even beyond that and down the corridors of time. There was a time in Europe called the Enlightenment. And this was a time when men said that if we could only get rid of the notion of God, if we could get rid of God, uh, then our enlightened, civilized civilization would be better off, And, and a utopia would come forth, the two world wars certainly messed up that theory. Paul speaks here of perilous times. And the word for perilous here in the original means hard to bear, difficult, dangerous, stressful. In fact, the only other time when the word is used for the word perilous here is in Matthew's gospel where Jesus went to the country of the Gadarenes and two uh, demoniacs came to Jesus. And it says about them, they were exceedingly fierce. And it's the same word that's used. And so we're going to come into days and we believe that we're moving in, coming into this time when things will be difficult and will be hard to bear and hard to handle and stressful and actually exceedingly fierce as far as this world is concerned. Now, I said that Paul is not particularly uh, speaking here about the tribulation period, that seven-year period that's three and a half and three and a half, the tribulation and the great tribulation. He's not specifically speaking about that, but about the events leading to that. The spirit of the age, this message is entitled The Spirit of the Age, and so, if we look around us, we'll see the spirit of the age that we're living in. And Paul describes it uh, very clearly here. And so, all these things in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 to 5, at least, that during that tribulation period, that these things that Paul now speaks about will find a complete unrestrained and unopposed and uncontrolled freedom to operate During that period but these signs are simply a precursor to that awful period that will come upon the earth and so whenever we see these signs whenever we read these things then surely we should say indeed we are in the last days none of us knows exactly when Jesus will return None of us should ever even dream of setting dates for that. He said only the Father knows that. But he said we would see the signs. And Paul is giving us some of the signs. And one of them is here in verse 2, for men shall be lovers of their own selves. Self-love, love of self, selfish love is the spirit of the age. The me, 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 I, I, I generation. That's what we're living in today. And it starts with infancy. When parents do not teach their children that you cannot have everything you want, they grow up with a feeling of entitlement. And by the time they're teenagers, that is ingrained into them. And all they think about is their rights. I must have my rights. They don't think about what's right. It's my rights. And if you look at the, the protests and the demonstrations around the world today, almost all of them and almost all that are at them are young people, particularly university uh, young people. And their banners are up about their rights and my rights and our rights. And so there's that feeling of entitlement that comes with that selfish love. Self love is controlling, it's manipulative, it's greedy. It wants no restraints, it wants no boundaries, it wants no limitations, it wants access and access to everything that there is. What you may say doesn't the Bible teach us to love ourselves? Yes, it does, but not in a selfish way. In fact, The Bible says you should love your neighbor as yourself. And what you would not want your neighbor to do unto you, you shouldn't do that unto them. Or conversely, what you would want your neighbor to do unto you, that's what you should do unto them. You would not want your neighbor, and I'm not necessarily talking just about the person who lives number 31 beside you. I'm talking about those that are in touch with us. He would not want your neighbor to defraud you or to hurt you, to cheat you, to lie about you, to gossip about you. So therefore, we should not do that to them. It's as simple as that. We should love them as we love ourselves. Selfishness is destructive in an individual. So many families are torn apart because of selfishness. Now, uh, over the years, I've watched the program a number of times. I forget what you call it, but it's that program where people who desire, for instance, to go abroad to live, maybe to Australia particularly, and in almost every... Pro- now, not there's nothing wrong with that, by the way. <laughs> nothing wrong with that, per se, But in almost every program I watched, and I didn't see them all, but every ones I watched, almost all of them, that was usually one individual within the whole family who was desperate, wanted to do this, no matter what the cost was to the wife, or to the husband, or to the children. And whenever they went and they stayed there for a week and they got all the facts and all the figures and they had to decide what it's going to be, and I think the most poignant part was... (laughs) when the grannies and the grandas and the aunties and the uncles and so forth and their friends and the young people whose mates they were leaving behind and they talked to them on, you know, on a video and they were crying and it was it was heartrending. But it usually was one person who was prepared to say, this is what I want, regardless of what you want or you want or you want or you want. I want this and I'm going to have this. And there's that selfish love that puts Self first, or regardless of everyone around. So that will be one of the signs of the age that we're living in, that that will increase more and more. Verse 2, it says, lovers of money. Just a few years ago, and we're still living with the consequences, where the banks had a massive crash, and all of this in one way or another, uh, suffered because of that, and many, many people lost their pensions and all the rest of it and their and their savings and everything and Even though the banks for sure had a, a massive part to play in their own downfall, but the truth of it was there was a time, and I remember those times when the banks were handing out loans like confetti, you could have got a loan for anything they were throwing money at you. I remember when, when our daughter, Claire, when she uh, graduated uh, from, from university, and we were there for the graduation ceremony. And, of course, that was the only one I had been to at that time. And outside of the hall, as, as, the, as the families and graduates were moving back and forward, all of the banks had set up all of their stalls offering credit cards. The students were already going to be thousands in debt as it was, handing them credit cards And, you know, they were handing out loans like confetti. And we grabbed them with both hands. Grabbed them with both hands. It didn't matter that the repayments were colossal. They were being offered, and we took it. There was a great factor. It wasn't just the banks. If we hadn't taken the loans, if we hadn't grabbed them, maybe we wouldn't have been hurt so bad. But we did. Lovers of money. And we forgot the old marriage adage, till debt us do part. (coughs) Financial pressures is one of the biggest single factors in divorces today. Till debt us do part. It can cause immense stress and pressure in any family if it gets way above us. They say that America right now is 18 trillion dollars in debt. (laughs) You can't even begin to figure out a number like that, 18 trillion dollars. I read somewhere recently, and I think I've got this fact right, that the world is 140 something trillion dollars in debt. And the question is, who does the world owe it to? Mars? Pluto? We're not in good shape. The love of money has destroyed families, it has crippled nations, it has ruined relationships, it has caused corruption, it has even destroyed ministries. And just recently, all you football fanatics will know this: that the the recent appointment of Sam Allardyce is the England football manager, a job that he craved as a young man, first playing. And eventually, against all of the odds, he got the nod and got the job. And his salary was three million pounds a year. Now, you would think that would be enough for anybody, wouldn't you? Three million pounds. Especially from a man who came from a working-class family who lived in a council house. Surely, to goodness, three million would be enough for anybody, but not for Big Sam, as they called him. No. The National Newspaper set up a sting operation and filmed him making a, a dodgy deal with some Far Eastern group of people. And it was exposed, and he had to resign immediately. And his career is in tatters. And his reputation is ruined because of the love of money. Because of pure greed. And we see today that this is the world that we live in. Where money is God. Where money is king. Where the love of money is the ruination. That's what the Bible says. Not the money, but the love of money. is the root of all kinds of evil, isn't it? Then he says boasters. (coughs) Boasters. It's interesting, the word boaster here means boasters, swaggers. It means wonders about the country. People who swagger around the country with a boasting, bragging attitude. And there's lots of that today. We see it in the world of celebrities and politicians and the rich and the famous. They must be seen. They must be admired. They must be idolized and lionized. And they brag and they boast about their latest toys. They must have their toys. They must be seen to show how rich and famous they are. Sir Philip Green, who's former head of BHS, British Home Stores, who absolutely ravished that store. Left it broken. Thousands and thousands of workers lost their pension. Sold it off to a pound for a man who was bankrupt three times. And what did he do? Well, out and bought three yachts. At a hundred million dollars apiece, or a hundred million pounds apiece, at least. Three of them. And boasts and bragged. Dilly meal called him Sir Shifty, because he's trying to squirm his way out of the liability of the whole thing. But that's just indicative of the type of world that we're living in today. there's such boasting and bragging and swaggering with no humility. In verse 2 it says, and proud. Proud here means haughty, arrogant. (laughs) And often we see this in, in people in powerful positions. They become filled with their own importance, that power Well, somebody says that absolute power corrupts absolutely. And we've seen it so many times. I think one of the classic examples, even within Britain, is just recently, where David Cameron, former Prime Minister, pushing through legislation for gay marriage. 600,000 people, and many of you were those people, he signed a petition to be sent to 10 Downing Street to say, we do not wish this to happen. And he completely and utterly ignored it. In fact, he did worse than that. He said that we are on the wrong side of history. Well, he is on the wrong side of history today. He gratuitously dismissed 600,000 people. And that's only the ones who protest His own party... Majority didn't want it. His own workers on the streets did not want it because the people in their doors said, saying, no, we don't want this. But he said, we're going to have it because we know best. Such was the pride and the haughtiness and the arrogance. I'm the prime minister. I know what you need. You don't know what I know. It was the same with the EU referendum. He said that people who vote for it are fruitcakes and loonies and bigots. And 17 million people said, no, we want out. And within 24 hours, the removal van was at number 10 Downing Street. And he was gone. Resigned to the dustbin of history. But such was the pride and the arrogance. Pride was Lucifer's downfall. It really was. Let me just read a couple of verses from from Isaiah. Isaiah 14. I'll read from verse 12. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning! How you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit in the mount of the congregation on the furthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Yet you will be brought down to Sheol to the lowest parts of the pit. And so that pride that was in the heart of Satan that caused his fall is still rampant today. And it's increasing by the hour. One of the things I like about Queen Elizabeth, or Queen, is her humility. She now officially, since the king of Thailand has died, she's now officially the world's longest-serving monarch. And God bless her. I don't know what the monarchy would be like without her. I think that's why she's held on so long. What age is her? Queen 90-something? 90? Still riding horses? <laughs> Incredible, isn't it? And one of the things that's so pleasing about her that, that every Christmas when she gives her a Christmas message, she always exalts the Lord Jesus Christ and always talks about Christian faith. Unashamedly. Rarely does she miss church. And that's humility. She would have much to be proud about. She has seen off so many prime ministers (laughs) who have got to go into her presence weekly and she's got to listen, I'm sure, to a lot of nonsense. I'm sure there's times when she's making the queen's speech and says, my government. I'm sure she's thinking, oh, no, no dear, help us, I've got to do this. But she does it with great grace and great aplomb. But the other side of that is, is the proud and the arrogant and the haughtiness that we see paraded in the world stage today. And Paul, believe it or not, says that these are the signs of the spirit of the age that we're living in. And all of this will lead, by the way, to the Antichrist, who will be the most proud, the most arrogant, the most haughty leader that the world has ever known. And there's been some in the past, but they will peel into insignificance to the one that is to come. And that spirit of the age will usher that in. And it will be accepted, it will be embraced. Then he talks about blasphemers. And although this word in the original refers to any kind of slanderous and abusive speech, it particularly emphasizes speaking against the sacred and against God himself. It is beyond argument that the most loved and the most despised name is Jesus. Is Jesus. No other religious leader's name has been so despised and be so denigrated and trailed through the muck and the mud like the precious name of Jesus. On television and movies and plays and dramas and magazines, it's reduced to simply a curse word, something that's used to display disgust. They use that lovely name. And blasphemy is not just in word alone, but it can be visual in the arts and in the movies and in the theaters. Right now as I'm speaking... In London, Derry, in an art gallery, there hangs a picture of the crucified Christ, and I hate to say this, but I have to say it, drenched in the urine of the artist who painted it. And I can't even... I'll, I'll be embarrassed to tell you the name of it. And it's hung up for all to see in Derry. And Eva McCann... One of our MLAs said, it is beautiful. It shows you the perversity of the thinking that goes there. Would they dare to do that with Muhammad? I think not. I think not. But they will do it with the Lord Jesus. The Monty Python team, they made a movie called The Life of Brian, which is a parody of Jesus. And sadly, many Christians went to see it instead of denouncing it and not going. A parody of the life of Jesus. Jesus Christ Superstar with Andre Lloyd Webber and Tim Rice, producers and writers. Took Holy Scriptures and made them what they wanted them to be and made a mockery of Jesus and painted Judas in a better light (laughs) what do you think all this is leading up to all this blasphemy and arrogance and pride it's leading up to the Antichrist How so? I'll tell you. Let me read this to you. Revelation 13, verses 5 and 6. Speaking of the Antichrist. And he was given a mouth speaking great things. There's the boasting, there's the bragging. And blasphemies. And he was given authority to continue 42 months, that's three and a half years, publicly speaking. Then he opened his mouth and blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. So all of this flood of blasphemy that's coming in will usher in an acceptance of the Antichrist who will be the supreme blasphemer, who will blaspheme God in his heaven and all who dwell there no wonder Paul looking prophetically down the corridor of time saw this happening and then he throws this in Hmm. verse 2 disobedient to parents Hmm. disobedient to parents It would seem that society and governments are doing their level best to dismantle every trace, every vestige of normal family life. The biblical pattern for family life is being shredded before our eyes. From parenting to marriage to sex education to religious instructions, all of it has been attacked and is being fought tooth and nail to destroy it. And we have no doubt about that. We see that happening. Scotland produced what they called a name-person bill. Well, the Scottish nationalists said that they want every child in Scotland to have a name-person as their guardian. Not their parents'. But anybody, teacher, doctor, solicitor, anybody but the parents. And the idea supposedly was to stop child abuse. But here's the problem. If a child is getting chastised by its person, by its parents, it's going to go to its name, person, saying, my mummy, my daddy spanked me. And do you know what's going to happen? The police, social services, the government's going to come in, take that child put it into care, and the parents would be able to do nothing about it because they have lost control even of their own children. Thankfully, the Christian institution, institute I should say, Christian institute, fought against that, took it through the courts, and it went to the high court, and the high court struck it down, and said this is going too far. And the SNP said, well, well, we'll tweak it. Well, they've tweaked, tweaked the life out of it. It doesn't even resemble anything to what they said it was going to be. And they still haven't brought it to pass yet. But this is Scotland. This is not North Korea. <laughs> this is not some banana republic. This is Scotland in the British Isles. Can you believe it? Contraception, I don't know whether this happens here. Contraception being handed out in schools without parents' knowledge. Even abortions without parents' knowledge. (laughs) In GB. Can you believe that? And even the latest thing now, because of this gender nonsense that's going on, is there's some schools, primary schools, saying that children should be able to decide their own gender so if you're a boy you decide well I would like to be a girl fine call yourself a girl if you're a girl well I fancy being a boy this week fine be a boy I mean if it wasn't so serious it would be laughable but it's serious you say well that'll never pass that'll never do we ever think we would see bills passed today that have been passed and are now law (laughs) church wake up We're in the last days. These things are happening around us. You say, well, it doesn't matter. I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. That's been the trouble with the church that has put blinkers on. Parental authority has been eroded. How How soon will it be before giving your child Religious education instruction for us as Christians, how long will it be before that's outlawed? Because there are people who want to outlaw, it, who are pushing to outlaw, it, so that you will not have the right to teach education in a religious manner, even in your own home. In Russia today, you can't do it. You can't do it. The bill has been passed. You say, well, that's Russia. That's the communists. Hmm. Interesting, they're against gay marriage. Britain's for it. So anything can happen, anything can go, can't it? Professor Richard Dawkins, the new atheist, says that teaching children the Bible in school or at home is tantamount to child abuse and is wicked. And he's a darling of the BBC, given much opportunity to spout this. The Hitler Youth Movement of Nazi Germany was a demonstration of what can happen when government takes control of our kids. Hitler was smart. He saw all of these organizations in Germany similar to RBB and Girl Guides and all of those things, not called that, but similar to that. And he thought, aha, if I can raise up the Hitler Youth and Nazi Youth. And he did. And eventually he took over all of those organizations and here's what happened. At the start, it seemed great. It was all one big umbrella. And they were taught physical education. And they were taught discipline. And it seemed wonderful. And they were given little uniforms. What child wouldn't want that. It was great. But as it went on, they started to desensitize them. And the games became began rougher, began to become rougher. And they actually got them to fight each other, fight till they hurt, till they bled, and they weren't allowed to cry. That was weakness. And if any of their family died, they weren't allowed to cry. Even if their parents died, that was weakness. And so that group of Hitler youth grew up desensitized, and there came a point... WHEN that was the bedrock for the Waffen SS. He swept through Europe, killing all the sundry, without a conscience or without a qualm, and without a tear shed. Paul says in the last days, this will be the spirit of the age. There's a spirit out there that wants to capture and captivate our youth. And sadly, in many instances, it's happening. They say now that it used to be that young people in the church, if you didn't get them by the age of 15, you'd lost them. Now they're reckoning it's about 8 or 9 or 10. If you haven't got them, you've lost them. Because there's a world out there that wants to grab them and keep them. Paul says that's the spirit of the age. And then he says they were unthankful. I better go quickly. They were unthankful. We spoke last Sunday night on the blessings of being thankful. Well, this is the opposite to this. This is the spirit of the age today. And whenever we spoke about being thankful we said that if you're thankful, it means you're recognizing and you're honoring God in your thankfulness. And it makes us more aware of God, the giver of life, the blesser. And we become more conscious of him. Unthankfulness is the opposite of that. And it affects people. In in Romans, let me just quickly just mention this. In Romans chapter 1, verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness of men who suppress truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. Nobody is born an atheist. Nobody. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful. Note that, nor were thankful. Thankfulness makes us honor God and makes us more aware of Him. Unthankfulness does the opposite. Nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image laid by corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore God also gave them up. Hmm. Unthankful. Uncaring. So God gave them up to their desires. Unholy, verse 2. Unholy means profane, irreverent. One of the features of the last days is the proliferation of profanity. There is not a program hardly you can watch today that is full of profanity. Sally and I, many, many years ago, we were in Malaysia. We were visiting Tony's mom and dad. And we stopped somewhere. We're in a hotel we stayed with them in our home, but there was one point we were in a hotel. I don't know why, but we were in a hotel. And so we came in late that night and switched on to me wanting to see some news. How are you going to get news in Malaysia? It's all Malaysian. But there was a channel, and it wasn't English, but it was all Malaysian. And it was kind of like, you know, a talk show. It was like Parkinson interviewing somebody. And it was live. And the man he was interviewing said one swear word. And within a moment, the screen went blank. <laughs> and I went over to the screen and fiddled. I thought the TV had gone funny, fiddled with it, but there were other channels on, flicked it back to that channel. It was blank. Tried it three or four times every time, blank. And then the next day I read in an English-speaking Malaysia newspaper that the Station closed it down. They shut down the program. (laughs) They closed it because of one swear word. If that wasn't Britain, there wouldn't be any programs on. (laughs) You'd be a blank screen all day long. Because of the profanity. People who will revile anything that is holy. It means anything that is holy and godly will be reviled and despised and spoken against. Again, Professor Dockings, again, and many of his cohorts, we call them the new atheists, they are very bold in denouncing anything that's godly or Christ-like or biblical. Here's what they say. They call Christianity Wicked. A disease of the mind that makes men delusional. (laughs) An attack on reason and science. In the past, the greatest scientists who ever lived were all Bible believers. That's what turned them on to science in the first place. But all these deny that today or ignore that today. It said they say it should be treated as a crime against society, it should be outlawed and abandoned. Again, this is all paving the way for the Antichrist, who will despise everything that's good and godly and righteous and holy and biblical. And the world will embrace him. <laughs> Why? Because it'll be conditioned. Do you ever get the feeling you're fighting? Swimming against the tide. <laughs> Do you ever get that feeling? Well, that's going to increase. Is that a bad thing for Christians? No. Everywhere, every country, every empire, where Christians has been persecuted, they've grown stronger and stronger and stronger. <laughs> there was a succession of Nero's and Caesars who persecuted the church. And the church grew stronger and stronger. And that's what drew people to the church because they were amazed that they would undergo this and accept this and take this persecution for Christ's sake. And the church was growing and it was stronger. Along came Constantine who embraced Christianity or at least his definition of it and politicized it and made it law. And the church then grew fatter spiritually and flabby spiritually. It was one of the worst things ever to happen because they lost their power and they lost their testimony and they lost their witness. China is on a major crackdown against Christians today. Major, major crackdown against true believers. If you belong to the three-self church, fine, because they control that. But outside of that, you're going to be hounded and hurried and imprisoned, and they'll take every piece of property off you. You'll end up in the forest. And they're doing that. And nations of the world are lining up to do business with them, and it's never mentioned. It's never mentioned. The church is never mentioned. But that's the spirit of the age. Then finally in this section, because we've got to move on, verse 3, on loving. The King James Version says, I'm reading the New King James, but the authorized version says, without natural affection. Last Sunday morning we mentioned four words, New Testament times to describe love. Love. And one of them was Sturgio, which is the love that a family's got for each other. Mothers and sons and daughters and fathers and brothers and sisters. So this is the opposite of that. That's a natural affection. But this is the opposite. Without natural affection. Without natural family love. Why should that be? Because family is being dismantled, decimated, shattered. And one of the signs of it will be the lack of love. We've lost count, have we not, of the cases we see of child abuse within families. How many times on our news we have watched some little boy or some little girl who was so dreadfully Wickedly abused by a parent. Even to the point of death. One little boy had over a hundred bruises in his wee body. Kicked about like a football by his own father and mother. Without natural affection. Abusive husbands, abusive wives... There was Ruth yesterday down in Belfast with A21 reminding people of human trafficking and slavery, which is terribly abusive, wickedly abusive. And again, signs of the last times. We thought slavery was gone. I thought we'd settle that issue. No, no. No, no, no. It's a different type of slavery today. But slavery nonetheless. And then we have in Islam, we have the... So-called honor killings. What is the honor in killing your own offspring? What honor could there possibly be in that? But let's treat it as an honor to kill your own son or your own daughter, because they have left Islam. They must be killed. To protect the family honor. may not think it's just foreign to us. But it's rampant across the Muslim world. It's even happening in England. Throwing acid in people's faces. We had Pastor Umar here just a couple of weeks ago. Throwing acid in people's faces. Husbands throwing acid in their wives' faces. They couldn't have them, nobody else is going to have them. And Paul says all of this and more is the spirit of the age. And it's all pointing towards two comings: the coming of the Antichrist and the coming of Christ. Isn't it interesting? You no, know, Paul writes first second Thessalonians, which we believe is the first books, letters to be written. Isn't it interesting? It speaks in those about last things first. The first thing he talks to the church about is the last things. Because he could see it coming. And Jesus warned of it coming too. And Paul and James and Peter and the early disciples. And here we are living in the last of the last days and we need to open our eyes and open our ears and see what is happening. And if there's no better reason in the world to be preaching the gospel and to be sharing Christ with people than today because we're moving into the end time game and it'll be over there's more of that that I didn't have time to share this morning but God willing I'll share it tonight so that we're aware I don't preach this every week you know that I try to be uplifting, I try to be encouraging, I try to preach to the needs of where you are, but we can't ignore this. We can't avoid this, folks. Because if we do, we'll be ignorant of the signs around us. And it should inspire us and encourage us to reach out to our loved ones. Sally and I were at a funeral on Thursday morning. Her brother-in-law's mother died, she was 92. He resisted all her life, Christ. Lovely woman, but resisted Christ all of her life. And then just two years ago, her son, who's a pastor in Whitewell, he went to her and he led her to Christ. He led her to the Lord. And he says, I went back a little while later just to check and ask her a few things and he I walked out of that home that day saying, she's ready. She's made her decision. She knows the Lord. And all of us has got loved ones, family members, who don't know the Lord. And they need to know him because he's coming soon. Or maybe they will go soon. So they need to know Who better to tell them than us? We say, it's so hard. It's so difficult. I know. But do it anyway. What have you got to lose? We can only say yes or no. Say they'll be offended. Well, let them be offended. It may lead them to Christ. And that would be wonderful, wouldn't it? He's coming soon. We need to be Ready. We want to see every family member come into the kingdom. And if you've already talked to them and they've already resisted, well, just when you can, do it. But pray that God will send a laborer across their path. It could be a wee nurse in the nursing home. It could be a nursing hospital. It could be somebody somewhere who could just talk to them and say the right thing at the right time for the Holy Spirit just to come in there and win them to Christ. What a joy that will be for us. Amen.